Welcome to Take This Poem Podcast, where we explore the rich, wild things that good poems can do in the everyday lives of ordinary folks. I'm your host, Mary Guidis. Whether you're a longtime poetry lover like I am, or just barely interested, I invite you to take this poem. I hope it amends the soil of your life. Hello. If you are still around and listening, hello and greetings. It's Christmas Eve and some strange um, or uncharacteristic ice and snow have pushed some of our plans into later today and I find myself with a few morning hours free and in the spirit of gift giving, which is really what I thought of when I started this podcast, hence take this poem, take it as a gift and take it as a nutritional supplement. That was kind of the two things I had in mind when I titled this. Today's the perfect day to do the gift part of that, to make you some presents. A lot of my energy and inspiration and literal breath has gone into teaching this fall. What a gift to find students who enjoy poetry And many of the ones that I've brought to you over the years, I've been able to bring to them as well. And it has been wonderful. There are so many things I learned the hard way or the fun way by recording this podcast that have translated over to the classroom. And that feels like a gift. One of the biggest ones is the lesson that not every go is spectacular. Sometimes there's an episode or a lesson or an activity that's just medium. Maybe even not that great. And that's okay. Keep going. And hopefully the mediocre will mix with the inspired into something that's still good. I hope. So what brought me back to the mic was a two-inch thick folder of poems, photocopies of poems that I have here. This might be one of the things I would grab if the house was on fire at this point. I'm not sure. It's many years of accumulated favorite poems, poems people have given to me, ones people have brought brought to the poetry group I'm a part of. And as I go through these, it's so funny. I can remember exactly where I was when we discussed certain poems, whose patio which coffee shop, which backyard, where we were when we did that strange, um, unproductive thing of gathering together and focusing on poems for a couple hours in real life. A lot of these are left over from that. A lot of them, though, are photocopied from library books or from books that were lent to me, which makes this crinkly faded piece of paper very special sometimes I don't even know exactly what book it was from um I should probably buy some of these for myself it's a Christmas present but all I have is a copied page or two that I made before I had to return the book so these must have been the creme de la creme to some extent I'm gonna start with an episode I put these two poems together. I thought of them as winter night poems. The first one's actually called Winter Night. Then I didn't realize why the second one felt like winter night to me, but 
Maybe you'll be able to figure it out. Let's start with the one that's a bit more straightforward called A Winter Night by Thomas Tranströmer. He was a Swedish poet and psychologist, I think, some sort of doctor like that. His poems are very special. There's, there's something magic going on there. They don't feel as translated to me as a lot of translated poetry does. Maybe that's kudos to the translator or maybe Swedish and English work together in a harmonious way. Maybe there isn't as much of a bridge there to go over, but I don't know. Listen to this one. See what you think. I'm going to read these both twice today because I have time and because I really think that second listening is often when the brain is ready to take in and hear the poem. This one is five stanzas and each stanza has four lines. I don't know. It helps me to kind of know what I'm getting into before I hear a poem. I'll read it. A Winter Night by Thomas Tranströmer. The storm puts its mouth to the house and blows to produce a note. I sleep uneasily, turn, with shut eyes, read the storm's text. But the child's eyes are large in the dark, and for the child the storm howls. Both are fond of lamps that swing. Both are halfway towards speech. The storm has childish hands and wings. The caravan bolts towards Lapland, and the house feels its own constellation of nails holding the walls together. The night is calm over our floor, where all expired footsteps rest like sunk leaves in a pond, but outside the night is wild. Over the world goes a graver storm. It sets its mouth to our soul and blows to produce a note. We dread that the storm will blow us empty. Oh man. Okay, I love this even more after I just read it. And I'm seeing part of why it had that untranslated feel to me. I think it's partly the sounds. In the first stanza, mouth to the house and blows to produce a note. The assonance there, the vowels, feels like this was written in English. And then in the next one, the child's eyes are large in the dark. Feels like it was made for English. Also, as I was reading, I noticed each stanza can stand alone to some extent. The first one's about the storm and the speaker, and then the second one's about a child. The third one's about a storm. But it has the, what draw, drew me to this poem to begin with was the house feels its own constellation of nails holding the walls together. I can just feel that when I read it. I almost feel like I'm the house with the nails, the straining against the nails, the constellation of nails holding the walls together. I actually read a couple other, I don't remember if it was poems or books, but since I first read this poem, I have seen reference to that in old houses, in cold stormy places, that the boards strain against the nails. That must be something that has changed in house construction. And I love going back in time. I love things that bring me back in time to the materials of a different era, 
be able to feel and hear those. I know that's weird, but this is a tangent. But I recently rewatched the movie Dead Poet Society, and that history through materials was one of the things I noticed. It was set mid-century, I believe, so not that long ago, and in my very own country. But I kept noticing, um, like there's one scene where some of the kids are drinking at a party, like a frat party type situation, and everybody's using these beautiful glass beer steins, no red plastic solo cups. Everything was glass and silver. There's some dining hall scenes too with cloth napkins and crystal glasses, real um, plates, and the books were hardbound. It just had this feeling of nothing being disposable. Everything meant to be reused. No paperback textbooks, no paper napkins, no plastic cups. Everything was glass and metal and china and crystal. And living surrounded by different materials, it makes life sound different and feel different. I like getting a glimpse of that. This poem, of course, every stanza could be its own quiet reflection. I think each one has at least some words or a phrase that's just killer at the language level. But then it ends with some mystical, spiritual reflection. The child's afraid of the storm. The speaker is calm. But at at the end, there's something more serious behind all this. The storm is on one side of the veil, and it seems like on the other side is something more worth worrying about because it has to do with our souls. Over the world goes a graver storm. It sets its mouth to our soul and blows to produce a note. I can't help thinking of the Holy Spirit. That's so easy for me to go there when I'm picturing the world and what's hovering above and what speaks to our souls. But there's dread. The poem ends with dread of emptiness from that storm. I'm going to read this one more time. A Winter Night by Thomas Tranströmer. The storm puts its mouth to the house and blows to produce a note. I sleep uneasily, turn with shut eyes read the storm's text. But the child's eyes are large in the dark, and for the child the storm howls. Both are fond of lamps that swing. Both are halfway towards speech. The storm has childish hands and wings. The caravan bolts toward Lapland, and the house feels its own constellation of nails holding the walls together. The night is calm over our floor, where all expired footsteps rest like sunk leaves in a pond, but outside the night is wild. Over the world goes a graver storm. It sets its mouth to our soul and blows to produce a note. We dread that the storm will blow us empty.
this next one is harder to understand and it's harder to read. I don't even know how this is going to go over for you to just hear this and not see it. But like I was saying earlier, I've kind of learned not everything works, but it's okay to try. And I want to try. This poem has stuck with me and continues to intrigue me many months and reads after I first found it. It's written by a young living poet named Irene Lorsung. It's called Gnosis. Yeah, I'm just going to read it. Just see what happens, then I'll talk. This poem is a page and a half. It does have stanzas, but they're irregular. Some are longer, some are shorter, and some of the lines are bumped over um, towards the center of the page. So this has a organic, not fragmented, has some, has some movement to it, has some space in it. And it goes like this, Gnosis by Ariane Lorsung. In the beginning, in the full room, by 40 watt light, I am stripping duct tape from a mannequin's body, paper and cloth. Every time I tear her, I feel pressure in my sinuses like crying and I apologize out loud. This is an object, but shouldn't I honor this body like anybody? Someone made the leather cuff around the shoulder. Tonight, I don't think while I work. Maybe 300 miles west of here, a girl my age is being beaten by her husband, and I won't know until tomorrow. Let me rest. What right to rest? The ought to says, throw away the toys and feed my sheep. Why are you playing with scissors and a broken doll when my girl lies in Fargo with a fat lip? I believe in the resurrection and the life of the world to come, but I want this one. Tell me, why does the man strike at the heel, soft in flesh as a serpent? Sometimes night is so long. And, forgetting, she won't lie alone, but goes to pour milk and wait for the second shift to end. Halfway through, there is the unplugged receiver and the coat that never made it to the squad car. Where the muslin breaks, it is broken forever. Fibers stick to fibers in the tape. Cotton tufts out and dusts the air. I may take needle to this old body, darn together or patch with cotton, or scissors and lay her bare and flat, make a new skin. In the morning, she will be there, night rolled away by some angel. No one waking remembers what has been put asunder by their hand. Thank you that I can still trust the body to press on, not knowing why, just breathing and beating until dark comes, or sleep, or sense, or light. Well, now I'm kind of wishing that I had a few days to think about this. 
before I speak. But I'm not going to wait. I'll just tell you, tell you what I see here. Tell you what this does to me. So I can see why I must have loved this. It has a lot of things in it that I enjoy. Her, her book in general was fascinating because she's also a textile artist as well as a poet. And those things went beautifully together. The cutting and synthesizing and creating of the fabric arts that she speaks of, in this case, taking apart a fabric mannequin to put it back together. Of course, it's rich with metaphor for poetry and the cutting and moving and creating and weaving that that takes as well with words. But the sensual, tactile aspect of the other art that she does and writes about in her poetry, it's like it brought it to the body level. And this poem is a lot about the body as well. So it's about making things with fabric, having your hands on something that you're bringing together, cutting apart. And there's something really satisfying about that. I've even been making these silly little whale felt ornaments this winter as one of my um, procrastination obsessions. I bought the pattern for the girls and I taught them how to do it, but then I turned out to be the one who made maybe 12 of them. And it was something to do with my hands as I listened to music or a podcast or whatever. But it also was kind of addicting to go from flat fabric to a hydrodynamically shaped little whale body in my hands <laughs> to put the face on and see how the different ones seemed like they had different personalities based on how crooked their smiles ended up and things like that. To have that forming in my hands. I don't know. There's something godlike about it that I couldn't help just really enjoying. And I think she's alluding to that when she's talking about, oops, that's the different poem. I may take needle to this old body, darn together a patch with cotton or scissors and lay her bare and flat, make a new skin. There's a feeling of power there, of potential and power, what you can do when you know how to create. I also liked the part about honoring the body, this pretend body or this form of a body like it's real. That's something funny to me about people. If something looks like a body or a person, it's very hard for us not to give some level of respect to it. Or if we don't, I'd say it's a diff it's more of a rebellion and disrespect than if we were to do a similar ob action to something that's not body shaped. Okay, what do I mean? Think about a baby doll. Like if you grabbed a baby doll by the foot and whacked it on the edge of a table, you're probably going to feel a little weird or hysterical about that. Or if you don't, maybe it's helping to release release some sort of you know, psychopathic rage that you needed to get out because there should be something strange about that. Or I think about a picture of somebody's face. If somebody, you know, I don't know, throws a dart at the eyeball of somebody's face on a poster and it sticks there, 
That's not the same as throwing a dart at a poster that's just writing or maybe a picture of a tree or something to cause harm to an image of a human body is a little, little miniature version of causing harm to a real body. I think we're just built to feel that that's true. And I think she touches on that. She feels sympathy in her own body when she rips the fabric on the mannequin and she apologizes out loud. I actually love that moment because I talk to myself a lot when I'm making things when I'm alone. And I love that she puts that in, that she's out loud saying I'm sorry as she works in the middle of the night on this project. Okay, so of course there's this aspect of creation and fabric and body here, right? But it goes deeper than that. You heard it. She's also talking about the simultaneity of human experience. And for every person who's calm and has a light and is alone and safe through a night, there's somebody else going through despair and violence. And how can those things be true at the same time? We can either remember one or remember the other, but when we try to hold both, that's when hard work begins. Hard human work. Trying to reconcile those things. There's also a tension between solitude and and the pleasure of her creative pursuits and a responsibility to people, to a community, to Jesus' sheep. There's a lot of scripture here. It's one of the things I enjoy about her poetry is seeing little glimpses of that. She believes in the world to come, but she wants this one right here and now. But Jesus says, feed my sheep. Many people might say, why are you playing around with something like scissors and a doll when out there in the world, this girl, this mysterious girl, I'm wondering if she read about her in the news or if maybe it was a friend. But it seems clear to me she realized after this night that at the same time she was working on her project, somebody else had been um, being beaten and in a domestic violent police situation. Is that more important? Knowing that being there than being alone and sewing and making a body. I'm going to read this again. Partly because I'm going to stop talking now, partly because I want to leave things for you. I think if you listen carefully, you'll notice something that you can take and chew on for a while. This is a rich one. Listen carefully as I read this one more time, okay? It's called Gnosis by Irene Lorsung. In the beginning, in the full room, by 40 watt light, I am stripping duct tape from a mannequin's body, paper and cloth. Every time I tear her, I feel pressure in my sinuses like crying and I apologize out loud 
This is an object. But shouldn't I honor this body like anybody? Someone made the leather cuff around the shoulder. Tonight, I don't think while I work. Maybe 300 miles west of here, a girl my age is being beaten by her husband, and I won't know until tomorrow. Let me rest. What right to rest? The ought to says, throw away the toys, and feed my sheep. Why are you playing with scissors and a broken doll when my girl lies in Fargo with a fat lip? I believe in the resurrection and the life of the world to come, but I want this one. Tell me, why does the man strike at the heel, soft in flesh as a serpent? Sometimes night is so long. And forgetting, she won't lie alone, but goes to pour milk and wait for the second shift to end. Halfway through, there is the unplugged receiver and the coat that never made it to the squad car. Where the muslin breaks, it is broken forever. Fibers stick to fibers in the tape, cotton tufts out and dusts the air. I may take needle to this old body, darn together, or patch with cotton, or scissors and lay her bare and flat, make a new skin. In the morning, she will be there, night rolled away by some angel. No one waking remembers what has been put asunder by their hand. Thank you that I can still trust the body to press on, not knowing why, just breathing and beating until dark comes, or sleep, or sense, or light. Part of my vision for this podcast was to have it be interactive. I pictured a virtual bonfire poetry reading where friends, family, local poets, and you can come together to warm our hands on some poetry. If there's a poem that has done some action in your everyday life, surprised you, delighted you, or maybe just more quietly worked its way into your bones, you know I would love to hear about it. Email me at takethispoempodcast at gmail.com and let me know your story. Maybe you can join me in sharing it with others as well. <laughs>